Sometimes, when we can't sleep, our minds will wander into the past, into our childhood. We remember things that shaped us and soothed us, and today, when life is so unsettled and so unpredictable, these childhood favorites bring us comfort. They remind us of a simpler time. And now, it's time for you to rest, so settle in and get comfortable. Clear your mind and relax your shoulders. Let go of any tension in your neck and jaw. Relax your hands and your fingers. Think of all the places we allow the tension of the days and weeks to accumulate. Adjust your pillow. Double check your alarm. Straighten your blankets. And settle in. It's time for a good rest and the sweetest of dreams. When I was a child, I developed a habit of reading before bed. It's something I picked up from my mom. She always had her nose in a book. She was either studying for school, because when I was little, she was still in college, or more likely, she was reading for fun. One day, a Jackie Collins novel, Other times, something from history. She really liked Carolee Erickson. On more than one occasion, my dad would come to tuck me into bed, and I was already asleep. Lights on, a book clutched in my hands. He'd find a bookmark, place the book on the nightstand, pull up the covers, kiss my forehead, and turn off the light. As I grew up, it became harder to settle in for the night if I didn't spend some time reading. One of my favorite authors when I was young was Carolyn Keene, best known for her work on the Nancy Drew series. When I started grade four, I realized that if I set my mind to it, I could read all 59 of the Nancy Drew books that were available. I loved those stories so much. I love the characters and the mysteries and just how strong and smart Nancy was. My love affair with reading and with storytelling, it started with Nancy Drew. Reading those books, and yeah, I know, not all of them hold up under today's lens, but they expanded my imagination, my creativity, and my vocabulary. I was able to imagine a regular girl like myself that I could do amazing things, that I could help people. I have to give credit where credit is due. A lot of who I am was shaped by those books, by those stories. So today's story is about Nancy Drew, and I've told you what she meant to me and how those books read so many years ago, how they influenced me. So we're going to spend some time with her creators and look at the events leading up to Nancy's arrival in popular culture and how, despite the passage of time and shifting tastes, Nancy has managed to endure for almost a century. Picture a third grade classroom. There are small desks arranged in neat rows. 
one wall is hung with brightly colored pictures created by the room's young occupants. The other wall has tall windows above rows of bookshelves. There's not a computer in sight, and the overhead projector, it sits dim and silent in the center of the room, just waiting for the teacher to use it. The class pet, a gerbil, maybe named Pebbles or Walter. It runs on a wheel inside a cage on the windowsill, and next to the cage is a jar partially filled with marbles. Students know that a marble is added each day for good class behavior, and that unfortunately, a marble will be removed if there is bad class behavior. And if the class manages to fill the jar before the end of the school year, there will be a pizza party and the party wouldn't be complete without a movie screened on the large picture tube television. You know the one. It's rolled into the classroom on a cart for special events. Children of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you remember the excitement and anticipation of walking into class and seeing the media cart with its television and VCR waiting at the front of the room. Back to the classroom, The shelves below the windowsill, they have art supplies and textbooks and the class lending library. Books by Beverly Cleary, Roald Dahl, and Judy Bloom. They sit next to the Encyclopedia Brown series, The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries. And the author of the Nancy Drew books, her name picked out in white or blue against the sometimes lurid 1960s illustration, you know, The pictures of Nancy with her iconic haircut. The author is Carolyn Keene. But listeners, there is no such person as Carolyn Keene. She was a pen name. And Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, they were the brainchild of three people you've probably never heard of. A woman named Mildred Augustine Wirt Benson. And a man named Edward Stratemeyer as well as his daughter, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams. Today, we're going to dive into the histories of Benson and the Stratemeyers, how they came to create the iconic girl detective, and we're going to explore Nancy Drew's legacy in popular American culture. To begin, we go back in time to 19th century America, where we meet the man who made Nancy Drew possible. The son of German immigrants, Edward Stratemeyer was born in 1862 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Young Edward was a voracious reader of children's stories. He devoured Horatio Alger's rags-to-riches tales of young American boys who earned their own way in the world. He also enjoyed Oliver Optics series like The Sailor Boys and Young America Abroad. Edward He was lucky enough to be a member of the first generation to benefit from the relatively new idea that there could be literature, books, and magazines just for children. You see, prior to the mid-19th century, American kids were mostly reared on religious and morality tales. But with the invention of the steam printing press in 1814, combined with increased literacy rates in Americans of all ages... It opened up new markets for readers. Suddenly, 
literature written for children was a new and lucrative area for publishers. If you look at those early children's stories, the ones that Edward loved so much, they featured young adventurers exploring worlds both close to home and abroad. And Stratemeyer was especially drawn to book series that followed the same characters from story to story. As a young teenager, he had a toy printing press, and he used that printing press to produce a newsletter about local goings-on for his friends and family. Career-minded from a young age, Edward didn't give these newsletters away for free. He sold them at the cost of one penny. And it's no wonder that as an adult, Edward Stratemeyer became a well-respected writer and producer of children's books. He spent his early career running a paper store by day and using his off hours to write the kind of mass-produced fiction that was so popular in turn-of-the-century America. Shortly after his marriage to Magdalena Van Camp in 1891, Edward took his first full-time writing job. He was one of Smith & Street Company's stable of staff writers. Along with dozens of other writers and editors, Edward churned out story after story for the penny papers, as well as inexpensive mass-produced dime novels. In his role at Street & Smith, Edward learned the ins and outs of mass-producing written material for young audiences. This was a skill he would employ when he founded his own publishing venture. In 1895, Stratemeyer left Smith & Street to build something of his own. He called it the Stratemeyer Syndicate. Now, the Syndicate was not a publishing company. It was a literary factory built on the same staff writer model as Street & Smith. For his first series, the Rover Boys series for young Americans, he drew on the kinds of tales he loved in his own youth. These books set in a military boarding school, they capitalized on the same mischievous and adventurous qualities that young Edward admired in the work of Alger and Optic, as well as the idea of a book series that followed the same group of characters on their many adventures. As his publishing group grew, Stratemeyer sought to expand on his children's series offerings. Stratemeyer Syndicate is responsible for the beloved, if less well-known today, Bobsy Twin books, as well as other series such as Ruth Fielding, Penny Parker, and The Dana Girls. And listeners, I loved The Dana Girls books. They were really hard to find when I was young, and I'd sometimes find them at garage sales or at a used book sale, and I was always so excited. So while these series, The Bobsy Twins, Ruth Fielding, they lacked the longevity of The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, but they were very well received at the time they were published. As Edward Stratemeyer built his literary syndicate, he knew he could not be the only writer on staff. So he used what he'd learned in his days at Smith and Street. Stratemeyer created a system of staff writers and pen names, what we now call ghostwriters, and he used them for his ongoing children's series. He began hiring talented young writers to fill the pages of his books with colorful, 
engaging tales of mystery and adventure. Modern readers have come to expect ghostwriters for memoirs and autobiographies, where the writer steers a celebrity or a politician or other notable person through the telling of their life story. But ghostwriters also exist in the world of fiction. This allows a book series of beloved characters to continue indefinitely. In the last 30 years, I think that the V.C. Andrews books are a prime example of this. Flowers in the attic, anyone? Stratemeyer's vision of these long-running series came to fruition with Nancy Drew, and they paved the way for future ghost-written children's and young adult series. If Nancy Drew wasn't your thing, how about The Babysitter's Club, Goosebumps, Trixie Belden, or Sweet Valley High? These are all ghost-written series attributed to pen names. But the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries came decades before, and they set the standard for serialized stories for children, a standard that's still with us today. The Hardy Boys debuted first in 1927. Nancy Drew followed shortly after in 1930. And Nancy Drew quickly became the more popular and more lucrative series. Stratemeyer, he was an idea man. He would come up with a brief sketch, little more than a few lines of text, and he would pass the idea off to a writer who transformed the idea from sketch to novel. When he needed a writer to take his idea for a teenage girl detective and turn her into a fully realized character, he went to one of his best writers, a woman already proven successful with books for young girls, Mildred Augustine Wirt Benson. Born Mildred Augustine in the small town of Ladora, Iowa, she did not have a typical childhood. Although Ladora began its existence in a typically Midwestern way, as a group of homesteaders on land taken from native Indian tribes, by the time Mildred was born in 1905, it was an unusual little community. They were highly focused on culture and the arts. The locals formed a group called the Chautauqua Literary and Scientific Circle. They were inspired by the original Lake Chautauqua program. What is today known as the Chautauqua Institution was founded in 1874 as the Chautauqua Lake Sunday School Assembly. This was an experimental Sunday school program. It quickly expanded its subject matter to include music, art, literature, and even physical education. The Chautauqua Project was on trend for the turn of the 20th century. You see, Americans across the country They were going to lectures on everything from Shakespeare to theosophy, and they were discovering health trends from vegetarianism to calisthenics. As participants in their local Chautauqua organization, the adult members of Mildred's family indulged their interests in art, music, and literature. Their passion for learning and knowledge, they shared it with their children, Mildred and her brother Melville. The children were soon following in their parents' footsteps by reading, exploring, and diversifying their interests. Mildred was an avid reader and champion swimmer. Now, the town of Ladora lacked a public library, and young Mildred, she had no way of getting to the closest branch in nearby Marengo. 
so she resorted to borrowing any written material she could, from the children's periodical St. Nicholas magazine to her high school's complete set of Charles Dickens' works. Like her future employer, Mildred loved the work of Horatio Elger, but she also read Stratemeyer's early works, the Rover Boys and the Ruth Fielding series. Little did she know that she would someday write for the syndicate as an adult. Her love of reading spurred her to start writing her own work, short stories and essays and fiction pieces on subjects that interested her. Encouraged by her literature-loving parents, Mildred began sending her short stories to publishers as a young teenager. In 1919, her first story was published in the same St. Nicholas magazine that she read and loved. This set a precedent that she would follow six years later, when she applied to write for the Stratemeyer Syndicate. By the time Stratemeyer offered Mildred the Nancy Drew Project in 1929, she'd been writing for him for several years. In 1926, between her undergraduate and graduate degrees, Mildred signed a contract with Stratemeyer for $125 a book. That's about $1,800 a book in today's money. And Mildred earned a bachelor's in journalism from the University of Iowa in 1925, she would become the first student to earn a master's degree in journalism from the university. This was in 1927. Mildred was quite a trailblazer. And while she worked as a journalist for her entire life, Mildred could not give up her love for writing fiction, and the syndicate job provided her with an outlet. Plus, her contract with Stratemeyer, it paid as much for one book as she could earn in three months with her journalism jobs. For her first assignment, using a pen name, Alice B. Emerson, Mildred wrote several books for the same Ruth Fielding series that she had read as a child. When she was given the assignment to create the Nancy Drew series, Mildred took on her most famous role as author Carolyn Keene. The contract she signed with Stratemeyer contained a standard clause saying that she could not reveal that she was a staff writer for the syndicate. Stratemeyer did not want his young readers to know that the pen names on the covers of their favorite books were not real people. For more than 20 years, Mildred would be Carolyn Keene, but no one could ever know. Nancy Drew, Stratemeyer's girl detective idea, was a logical extension from the already popular boys' detective series he created but he was also tapping into an international trend in popular fiction, the mystery novel. The 1920s had solidified the popularity of the relatively new mystery genre. Arthur Conan Doyle was still writing and publishing Sherlock Holmes stories until his death in 1926. British mystery writers like Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers were becoming international bestsellers the American reading public was primed for a mystery series aimed at young readers, especially one featuring a skilled, talented, and charismatic girl detective. Unsurprisingly, the first Nancy Drew novel, The Secret of the Old Clock, features a contested will. The contested or missing will was already a very popular trope in mystery fiction by 1930. 
Agatha Christie used contested wills or missing inheritances to create intrigue in some of her earliest works like The Case of the Missing Will, published in 1923, and The Clergyman's Daughter in 1929. The plot of Sayer's 1927 novel, Unnatural Death, it hinges on a secret will made by a dying woman and hidden from her greedy relatives. Mildred's first adventure for Nancy uses a similar plot device, but mingles this mystery fiction trope with the ethos of the American teenager and the new woman. A fashionably dressed young woman zipping around the countryside in her dark blue convertible, 18-year-old Nancy Drew represented the freedom and autonomy women had gained during the 19-teens and 20s. Building on the late 19th century new woman who fought for rights to work and vote, the women of the 1920s enjoyed newfound social freedoms as well. Nancy's iconic hairstyle? Remember, she was featured in colorful artwork on the cover of each book. I, as a child, saw her hair as a 60s flip, but friends? She was sporting a 1920s flapper bob, a symbol of freedom from the antiquated long hair and Victorian ideals of a bygone era. As Mildred constructed the world of America's iconic girl detective in the first few Nancy Drew books, the Stratemeyer Syndicate was undergoing changes. Edward Stratemeyer passed away in 1930 of pneumonia when he was 67 years old. He left control of his literary empire to his daughters, Harriet and Edna. Edna was more business-minded, but Harriet would take on the creative role her father left. Like Mildred, Harriet Stratemeyer Adams grew up in the new woman environment that contributed to Nancy Drew's characterization as an independent spirit. Born in 1892, Harriet entered her teenage years around the time that wide-ranging possible futures for middle-class and wealthy young women like herself were opening up. More and more colleges were accepting women into co-ed programs, and the top-tier women's colleges like Wellesley, Vassar, Barnard, Smith, and Bryn Mawr, they expanded their degree offerings. Although she was an indifferent student in her younger days, by the time she entered high school, Harriet had set her sights on college. With the full support of both parents, Harriet became a freshman at Wellesley in 1910. As an adult, Harriet reflected that her home was always full of stories, and her father learned from his two daughters that girls wanted stories of their own, stories with girl characters just like them. Harriet would also attribute some of Nancy's character growth under her tenure as ghostwriter for the series to her experience at Wellesley. Nancy's intelligence, competence, and independence led her to inspire many young women over the years, including Supreme Court Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Sandra Day O'Connor, and a few former First Ladies. But this rich legacy was almost cut short by disaster after Edward's death. Harriet and Edna inherited their father's company during difficult times. The Roaring Twenties were at an end, and by 1930, the Great Depression threatened all American industries. It left 15 million people unemployed. Publishing was no exception. 
Faced with reduced sales and the floundering economy, the syndicate had no choice but to ask their writers to take a pay cut of $25 per book. Mildred was one of several ghostwriters who found the pay cut unacceptable. She felt it was an insult to her talent, and rather than take a pay cut, she resigned her position as a Stratemeyer Syndicate writer. Then, fate intervened on Nancy Drew's behalf. While sales of other titles in the Syndicate Auxiliary stagnated, Nancy Drew became a smash hit and their best-selling series. Mildred's livelihood as a journalist was threatened by growing economic collapse, so Mildred agreed to return to the syndicate a short two years after her resignation at the even more reduced rate of $85 per book. Like many Americans during that time, she was grateful to have work. Mildred and Harriet would work together on the Nancy Drew series for more than 20 years, with Mildred writing 23 of the original 59 Nancy Drew stories between 1930 and 1959. True to Edward Stratemeyer's concept of his syndicate, the writing process was a team effort. Harriet, who had inherited her father's talent and passion for writing, she was very hands-on in managing the syndicate's writers. Keeping the Nancy Drew series going despite the challenges created by the Depression and then World War II was a joint effort, and we can say, with confidence, that Mildred and Harriet, they were the real Carolyn Keene. Today, Mildred is best remembered for her role in creating and writing Nancy Drew, but during her fiction writing career, she penned more than 150 books for the syndicate including some written under her own name. As Keen, she wrote several books in the Dana Girls series. The Dana Girls series, about sisters Jean and Louise Dana. Channeling her father's legacy, Harriet pitched the idea of a pair of sisters solving mysteries while living at boarding school. The Dana Girls idea combined elements from Edward Stratemeyer's original Rover Boys with the wildly successful Nancy Drew, and ran from 1934 to 1979. Mildred also authored the Penny Parker mystery series under her own name between 1939 and 1947. She often said that Penny Parker was her favorite of the characters she wrote. Perhaps this is because in Penny, she was given free reign to develop character and plots without the burden of remaining true to the syndicate's collective vision for Nancy Drew. Over the years, Mildred and Harriet often disagreed about the direction the Nancy Drew stories should take. Harriet had strong feelings about how Nancy should be represented, and her editorial notes and rewrites dampened Mildred's imagination. With Penny Parker, Mildred was able to indulge her creativity unencumbered by an editorial team. Penny's character had an autobiographical air to her as well. You see, she solved mysteries, but she's also a young reporter and a swim champion, just like Mildred, her creator. With Penny, Mildred was free to address what was happening in the world. Perhaps in an effort to retain the timelessness of her stories, Harriet took the position that Nancy Drew should not mention World War II, but in the Penny books... Mildred was able to write mysteries that were directly informed by the issues facing wartime America. In 
While Mildred gave Nancy Drew life, her control over the world she had created was tenuous. Over the years, Nancy's stories underwent multiple revisions, some to remove harmful racial stereotypes of the 30s and 40s, and some to update Nancy for a generation of readers. Her character was revised to seem older, perhaps less youthful and impulsive than Mildred's original vision, and more in keeping with the feminine ideals that emerged in post-war America of the 1950s and 60s. The coming years would see more changes in Nancy's world, Shifts in authorship, editorial oversight, and publishing house led to a decline in quality, even as the number of books using Nancy Drew's name more than doubled. A series revival, The Nancy Drew Files, ran from 1979 to 1985, and it began with three books written by Harriet, but would eventually be written by five different authors. Between 1985 and 1987, the series took a hiatus when the syndicate's works transferred between publishers. Originally with Grosset and Dunlop in 1980, Harriet became dissatisfied with their management and took the series to Simon and Schuster. The next 14 years would see a flurry of production of Nancy Drew books under the new publisher, adding more than 80 titles to the Nancy Drew name in the 90s and the aughts. An additional 15 titles were added to the series before Simon and Shuster decided to stop production of the original Nancy Drew stories altogether. These later editions are nowhere near the same caliber as those written by Mildred and the early Stratemeyer ghostwriters, as is often the case with sequels taken on by different production teams. Despite the challenges and changes the series has faced over the decades, Nancy has not left us. A new reboot, The Nancy Drew Diaries, was launched in 2013, and it is still in active production. Simon and Schuster also relaunched a spin-off called Nancy Drew and the Clue in 2015, an interactive style of book that allows young readers to gather clues and solve the mystery alongside Nancy and her friends. The women behind the name Carolyn Keene are now gone. Harriet Stratemeyer Adams suffered a fatal heart attack in 1982. Mildred Augustine Wirt Benson passed away in 2003, succumbing to lung cancer at age 96. But she wrote up until the very end, continuing to publish in the Toledo Blade until a few months before her death. She was eulogized as a celebrated journalist and author, and finally as the original pen behind the name Carolyn Keene. And it would be remiss to leave Nancy's story without mentioning her legacy on the big and small screens. At the height of the popularity of Mildred's original books, Nancy Drew was optioned by Warner Brothers for $6,000, with an intention to produce a series of five low-budget pictures. Between 1938 and 1939, four Nancy Drew films were made starring Benita Granville. Granville was a rising young star and had already been nominated for an Oscar for her role in the 1936 film These Three, which was based on Lillian Hellman's play The Children's Hour. The Nancy Drew films did well, but Hollywood took liberties with Nancy's character that did not sit well with Harriet. On-screen Nancy was more traditionally feminine and less progressive than the one that Mildred created 
and she took a bit of a backseat to her lawyer father, who is never more than a supporting character in the Nancy Drew books. The films were moderately successful, but perhaps due to the character and tone changes, they did not take off the way that Warner Brothers had hoped, and the series was discontinued before the fifth and final film went into production. Nancy's next appearance was on the small screen and, like the creation of the books, tied to the Hardy Boys. Between 1977 and 1979, ABC aired the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mysteries. Pamela Sue Martin's Nancy is a modern 70s girl. Clad in turtleneck sweaters and bell-bottoms, she is upgraded from a convertible to an airplane, taking on the role of amateur aviator. At first, the series alternated between a Hardy Boys story one week and a Nancy Drew story the next, but as it progressed, the series came to focus on the boys, and Nancy became a guest star, and eventually she disappeared from the program altogether. In 1995, a second attempt at bringing her to the small screen debuted with an updated, more modern Nancy Drew. The WB and UPN networks channels that would become known for cornering the teen and tween markets. They had series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek. They launched a short-lived Nancy Drew series alongside the equally short-lived Hardy Boys companion series. In this series, Nancy is older and edgier. She's a criminology student living and solving crimes in New York City. But neither Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys made it past their 13-episode pilot run. Warner Brothers revisited Nancy Drew in 2007 with a film starring Emma Roberts. In this take, Nancy is transplanted to L.A., and the series takes on a clueless meets Mean Girls vibe, with Nancy solving mysteries while navigating the pitfalls of an L.A. high school. The movie received mixed reviews, and Roberts' complicated filming schedule on other projects, that led Warner Brothers to cancel any plans for a sequel. As a mother... My daughter and I enjoyed this updated version of Nancy Drew. We probably watch it once a year. Most recently, the CW has attempted to capitalize on a small-screen Nancy once again by giving Nancy Drew and her world the same dark revamp they've given DC Comics properties like Riverdale and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The 2019 Nancy Drew series has this same blend of mystery and the supernatural, updating Nancy and her friends for a 21st century audience. So far, the update is working. The series has been picked up for a second season. And listeners, if you haven't read her books or seen Nancy on television or the big screen, maybe you've played one of her games. Nancy Drew's name and likeness are used in more than 30 interactive PC games, with titles like Nancy Drew, The Shattered Medallion, and Nancy Drew, Danger by Design. You can join the red-haired detective to solve mysteries from the comfort of your own computer. These many adaptations of Nancy for the big and small screens, as well as the iterations of her world in print and digital media over the years, it speaks to the longevity of a beloved character. But it also may be a product of one of the Stratemeyer Syndicate's strokes of genius. In his early book series, the characters grew and changed over the years. The final editions of the Rover Boys were about the original boys' children, with the older original characters appearing as minor players in a new story. 
the Ruth Fielding stories, well, they begin with an orphaned Ruth coming to live with an aging relative and follow her through to adulthood, providing a logical conclusion to the series. But Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys? They don't age. Sure, Nancy has gone through updates and revisions as times and tastes changed in the decades since her inception, but Nancy will always be a plucky 18-year-old girl detective, armed with the curiosity and fearlessness given to her by her creator, Mildred Augustine Wirt Benson. Her timelessness helps her appeal to each new generation of child readers. We can imagine a different third-grade classroom, one for children of the new millennium. This classroom hums faintly with the white noise of computers and tablets. Its occupants may not recognize the TV cart that caused their predecessors so much joy. And maybe they're not sitting at individual desks, but instead at clusters of low tables. But on one wall of the classroom, we still see rows of shelves. The classroom lending library. And in that library sits Nancy Drew, waiting for the next generation of readers to join her in River Heights to come along with Nancy and her cousins, Bess and George. Nancy Drew was such an important part of my childhood. When I had children of my own, I enjoyed sharing Nancy with them as well. This week's episode of Dreaming with Nina was written by Anna Brecky and performed by me, Nina Instead. I appreciate you listening. I hope you are sleeping well and so rested. And please, be safe.